Hey, what's up? It is time for another Grillo's Aftershock XL on the Aftershock XL Network. I've been working on this one for a while. In fact, probably about 20-something years. Uh, what what uh, everybody knows at some point, if you're a Stern fan, the infamous uh, Stuttering John uh, Grillo Ganji apartment debacle. Uh, it, it was a very famous apartment that was uh, always talked about on the air by Howard. It was a pre-war six-floor walk-up apartment that Jackie the Joke Man used to crash at if he stayed over in the city and, you know, he had a gig or something. And it was a very famous apartment because it was uh, what they call rent-controlled in the city here. It was something that was used. Um, it had a clause in, in the lease where the rent couldn't go up X amount of dollars every couple of years. So the rent was like basically $300 a month. Now, if anybody knows, having an apartment in Manhattan for $300 a month is like unheard of. It's still every once in a while you hear about it, but it's just one of those long legacy things where you have to like just be in the know. So Jackie, the joke, so stuttering John gave the apartment to me in Ganji and the apartment was given to John uh, through Jackie. And me and Ganji infamously got kicked out because we weren't on the lease and the company found out and they got us out of the apartment like that. So that's the, the famous part of this story as far as the Howard Stern people know. But what they don't know who is one of the first ones, I can't wait to hear the story, the real story about the apartment because I've been dying to get this person on my show for a really long time. God bless Facebook. It has its demons, but it also has its good uh aspects as well because you get to find people like this person so uh, in the process of getting thrown out where we had to get everything out of the apartment within a couple of days there was a closet there and i there was a big box all the way at the top of the closet and i said what the hell is in here and it turns out it was the personal effects of the person that owned it before jackie the joke man which is uh the person that is right here right now um on the on, on uh, waiting to come on and uh so I happened to go through some, I guess it was some albums and just some knickknack shit that probably they didn't mind, but I found this in there. This right here, Orion Pictures. And there were two of them. And I turned it and I opened it up. And it's by this man, Dennis Blair. And it is a script copy of one of my favorite movies of all time, Easy Money, starring Ronnie Dangerfield. So it turns out Dennis wrote easy money and there's all these little handwritten changes in there and a friend of mine ron who's also waiting in the wings who's a comedian who i met he's been on the show ron bobber uh, he's on the show with uh jackie he's a friend of jackie the joke fans so we, we we were sitting around and we just and we just remembered what a wonderful amazing funny fucking movie this was so i got dennis blair here and ron bobber both comedians both have a very interesting story how you doing, know, Dennis are. Blair? Nice Bobber? Dennis yeah. Blair! I can't believe I'm on a show with Dennis Blair! Oh my god, you'll never live in This is amazing! One of my favorite movies of all time, and I am meeting the writer. This is... I am so blessed. Thank you. That's why the sun is shining down. Ah, Dennis Blair, way. thank you. Thank you for having me, Steve. Dennis, so nice to meet you. Same here, same here. So before Go we on. get into the whole aspect of things, there's something I have to know. What is your story with that apartment? Like, you're how did you me? come about the apartment? Yeah, I'm talking about you, Dennis. What was mm -hmm. What's the story with that apartment? How did you come about it? 
what was it? I mean, what purpose was it used? Was it your main residence or was it like something? Because everybody, uh, if you don't know, it was on 65th between First and York, and down three or four blocks was uh, the comedy club Dangerfields. Right. So, well, well, uh, here's the deal. I, I was, I was, I'm, I'm a New York boy, born and bred. Not, not living there anymore, but raised in Whitestone, Queens. Always wanted to move to the city. Um, and a friend of mine named Larry Campbell, who I don't know if you know who that is, but he uh, is pretty, pretty famous musician now. He was in Bob Dylan's band for seven years, and he, he produced uh, a lot of Levon Helms stuff from the band. Anyway, he was living on 64th Street in the same basic complex, and he got me a meeting with the, the rental office, and I finally was able to wheedle my way into that apartment. I finally, yes, I'm living in the city. Fantastic. 65th and 1st. Sixth floor walk up, but we didn't care because we were young at the time. We could make this make the climb. And then uh, that, that was the deal. So I finally got my dream of, of moving to the city at an affordable rent. Here's the funny story. 274 a month, one bedroom. <laughs> yeah, try to do that these days. And about we were living there for maybe two years, and we got this letter in the mail saying, oh, we, you've been overcharged uh, for the last several years. For a year, our rent went down to like 70 bucks a month. Oh my God. 5th Street and 1st Avenue. So that's the story there. And of course, it happened to be four blocks away from Dangerfield, where I, I went down one day for an open mic night and, and got my start there. So that's the basic story. And now, what people don't, I'm going to try to find some old pictures. Uh, the, it was a very interesting setup because there was a, there was a one bedroom, technically, but it had a very, for, for what it was, it had a very big living room. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and well, considering where it yeah. was uh, and what it was like, but, but considering the, the bathtub yeah. was in the kitchen. Yes. Now, that's yeah. kind of like hard to describe to anybody that doesn't really know. It was a big, giant, you know, tub, a, yeah. big, a big tub that, and the chow curtain sort of went around the whole entire tub. So you right. had your little privacy. You had to do your your shit inside the tub. You had to get you know dry off, and then if you had a roommate or somebody there, depending if it was a female or not, get dressed. Right. And um and there was one sink that you brushed your teeth in, and you also did the dishes. Yeah, it was really really a very uh, premium apartment. By the way, uh, if you put it over the tub, if you remember, there was a little like a porcelain thing. You could just put it down over the tub, and you had a table. And then oh, see, I didn't room. have that. Yeah, I didn't and have that. Toilet room, the toilet room. Yes. So you had a one room for the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, but you know, great area, 65th and first. You couldn't, you know, and it had we had a we had a radiator. I don't know if anybody remembers those. That's how we got our. I I, I had them for 20 years. Pain in the ass. Yeah. Make a lot of noise. A lot of noise. Right. 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 So, so did you write Easy Money uh, while you were at that apartment? Yeah. Yeah. So Rodney lived on. 82nd Street between York and First. So, you know, I mean, he was, you know, this is before he moved to Westport, Connecticut. But uh, in those days, he lived there and uh, we would go over to his place. And man, what a, you know, he had he had two apartments that like he knocked out the wall between two apartments. So, you know, compared to our place, you know, it was like a palace. He had like tons of square footage. Uh, but we would go over there and uh, sit down at his big dining room table and start writing the movie, you know. So uh, did, this, did, did, did this bring back some memories for you? Man, I can't. I can't wait to get. I gotta see. Do you, how come it's not in glass? How come it's not? Yeah, in it glass? shouldn't be in glass. I know. There's some <laughs> numbers on here. We should call two one two six eight nine zero three eight two. It says Joe. I don't know who that is. Joe. And then there's a six zero three five three two seven five one four number. But 
There is um, you know, page 23 dialogue. There's little handwritten notes, as you can see here, in yeah. some of the dialogue. Hold, on, hold it up wow. there. Wow. Let me, let me see if I can get the reading glasses on here. I'll just... <laughs> Ron, you want to read some of that dialogue? Can you I can't. That? I can hardly oh. see. Oh, man. I can't read it. I, I just Rose. so so Dennis. I, I thought was it so was, lucky. I thought it was lovely. Go ahead. I, I thought it was lovely service and Julio's friends. Uh, what's that? Look so, so smart, smart in their, in their, in their costumes. Co Holy <laughs> Jesus! What what draft is that? It's like the third draft out of right. like nine hundred. Yeah, Ryan, it was fascinating question? when I read this in his apartment because I know the movie so well. I was like, these lines aren't in the movie. No. They must have <laughs> gone through drafts and drafts to get this thing so tight and beautiful. But for him to have that piece, it's an artifact of just, you know, supreme art that, you know, that, that <laughs> is so rare to have. It's incredible that it was in his place. Who yeah, it took, it took, we, we sat around that table at Rodney's place for two years. So that's how many drafts, we, I don't know how many drafts we wound up going through, but man, it was from when it started to, I mean, Rod, was, we originally had Rodney in a complaint department, working at the complaint department at the store, <laughs> at the department store. And I thought that would have been great, but Rodney did not understand the concept of dialogue that did not have jokes in it, like joke jokes. So he says, what's the joke, man? You know, but I said, Rodney, you're in, a, you're in a complaint department. People are coming up to you with their gripes and you're like, putting them down, he didn't get it. So that's why it didn't make the final cut. But man, we went through tons. We went through two directors too, so, you know. Was it before they even started or did you go through the, did you go through the directors during the, the tape, the filming? Uh, we went through, let's see, uh, no, Joe Sobermeyer, I don't even, if you remember the old Federal Express commercials where a lot of people were just staring into the camera like that. It was halfway through the writing process uh, where he came in and tried to help. And he, Joe Sobermeyer, the only thing in the movie that survived uh, him being the director was the overhead shot of the backyard with the wedding. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that was a subtle Meyer touch. That was the big wow. thing. You, you kind of forget, it just brings you back to like, people didn't always go and rent out the big halls and pay all that money. They just did it themselves, you know? Like, it was right. like, it was a, like a, that was like such a throwback, you know? Yeah. And uh, the scene that he sings, like, was that something that Rodney wanted? Like, that was that his idea? Like, or absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Rodney, anytime Rodney got to sing, he would put it in a movie. I guess so. Yeah, you know, I guess they didn't let him do it in Caddyshack. So he said, "I'm <laughs> going to do it. This is my movie. I'm going to sing Finicale, Finicale, and Pesci, you know, and Pesci joining in. You know, it was so. I I know this one little fact that the first time that Rodney acted was in Caddyshack, and it was in the scene where he said, "Oh my own," and I, it was one of the one of the scenes where he was there and he the first take he did it and he goes oh I don't want nothing to do with this movie business fuck this he goes I'm out of here they're like Rodney what are you talking about he was like quit I quit I can't do this and he goes Rodney why why he goes because I suck I can't do this I'm horrible I'm horrible nobody laughed nobody laughed they were like Rodney they're taping a movie you can't laugh in between like while they're filming right. the whole crew is like holding their mouth trying to like not laugh he goes oh. All right, then let's do another one. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's enough. Yeah, that's not funny, man. Then nobody's laughing. It's a movie. You can't laugh. All right. Yeah. By the way, was, interesting it, fact. That's not the first time Rodney was in a movie. Caddyshack. It was, you oh, ever really? hear of a movie called The Projectionist? No. He was in that movie with Chuck McCann, who you won't probably won't remember, but uh, yeah, this was like years before. He was he was kind of like a he wasn't the superstar he was then, but he, and he was much more. Uh, subdued in this movie, he was like he he kind of talked like this, you know. So projectionist first, then Caddyshack, then Easy Money. Just just a fun fact. 
for your fans. Wow, I didn't know. I would have looked that up. Yeah. So uh, we, there's so many classic lines in that movie, and it's just like you know, it's just like uh, you know, you shot me in the ass. You were shot in the upper part of the gluteus maximus. So be wrong, dog. You shot me in the ass. Like, yeah, right. like so. Was that a collaborative thing that you guys all did, or was it just like it come from uh, Rodney mostly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's funny. It's so long ago that I. But we were all me and the Michael Endler and P.J. O'Rourke and Rodney and his his manager. Uh, we're all around the table, like almost every day. So we would just throw in ideas and come up with scene ideas and stuff like that. So I don't remember who came up with that specific line. It might have been Rodney. It might have been one of us. I, I know the one that I remember specifically is the regular guy look line. I came up with that. The callback where uh, Vince Lou goes, uh, you do the regular guy look? I just walked on a whole bunch of people. Trust me, pajamas. That was, that was definitely me. I remember that one. That got, a, that got a big laugh around the table. So we yeah. <laughs> so, uh, when, the, when, the, when the cubs get afraid, then it becomes a pajama top. You know? Yeah. <laughs> now that bit was that bit was an old bit of Rodney's. He used to do it in his old act, you know, about the pajama top. Yeah. And that was all him. But then the callback was was me. So that you know, so the so it was a big collaboration. But you know, you had a you had to make Rodney happy. You had to, had to be a lot of joke jokes in there, which was fine because people seemed to enjoy it anyway. You know, once you put your heads together, make an ass of yourself. You know, that's Rodney, yeah. you know, all that stuff was like classic. Ron said that like Ron must have said that like ten times yesterday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make an ass of yourself, okay? You know. <laughs> now Joe Pesci wasn't really acting at that time, was he? Well, let's see. He had just done Raging Bull, so but he uh, he didn't want to have anything to do with acting, right? He was always trying to stop acting. He was always trying to get out of this, you know. I don't know if he was actively trying at that point. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he agreed to do the movie because he was a big Rodney fan, you know. But here's the thing. Every time, so when we were doing the movie, you know, we'd all be on the set, and, and Joe would ad-lib a funny line. If he got a laugh, Rodney would take that line from him. So, <laughs> so Rodney would go, yeah, I'll do that line, okay? It's more my style. Actually, <laughs> would like to stand there, wait a minute, I just came up with that line. What's wrong? So, you know, he got really pissed off a whole bunch of times. I think by the end of the movie, he was kind of glad it was over. Because Rodney kept stealing his best best moments in the film. Uh, my favorite line was, uh, now, now get out of here, you half a sissy, before I give you a slap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Joe probably came up with half a sissy. I'm not sure, you know, but I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. Yeah. Well, you, couldn't, you couldn't get away with that today. I know, I know. It's a whole different time. Yeah. Well, what, was, uh, what was your favorite outside? Were you on set for the movie? Yeah, here's my here's my favorite moment. Um, uh, you know, remember? Of course, you remember the uh, the famous thing where the woman was sunning herself on the porch, right? And <laughs> she's totally topless. The 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 producer of the movie uh, sold. They were they were filming a lot from the second floor of the house. He sold. Uh, I forget how much he charged, but if people wanted to stand at the window and watch them shoot that whole scene over and over again, he like sold them tickets to go watch, you know, or getting undressed and dressed again and all that stuff. Oh, that's, that that's was not perverted. That's hilarious, you know. But uh, man, I'm telling you, so you know, going into the Christmas tape tree, how to retake that a whole bunch of times, you know. And he hated making movies. I mean, Roddy hated making movies. It was like he feels like he was being punished. He said, "You want to punish a kid? You make him write on the on the blackboard a hundred times. That's what like making a movie is. Okay, you got to say the same line over and over again, and it's not half as funny as the second time. So you know, he was they they tried to accommodate him and do one take as often as possible. Wow, interesting. Now, now, Ron, you have a you you always like the the guy outside with the joints in his pocket. What what, what was that scene, Ron? 
Which one? The, yeah, which one? The guy, the guy he's giving him a joint with his in front of his daughter. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, what was it? Jeff Altman, right? Jeff Altman, yeah. And he was going to give that to me. He was going to let me be that guy, but I don't know. The director next to him, he said, no, we got Jeff Altman. He wants to do it. So, uh, who who so, were yeah. you in that? In that I movie? I was in two scenes. I was in the regular guy look scene where I was out oh. the guy with the going, look at that suit. Look at that suit. That was me. And uh, and then then I was the guy wheezing in the hospital bed near the end of the movie where I'm Rod Oh, Nessler. really? <laughs> and I was the guy going, and it's a point of saying Jennifer Jason Leigh was like was sprawled on top of on top of my butt with with Taylor Negron kissing her. And I'm going, this is an interesting way to make a living. Yeah, right. I've been, I'm getting paid good money for this. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, she she still looks good, Jennifer Jason. You know? Yeah, she's 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 doing a lot of good stuff lately. Uh, the last thing I saw her was in what The Hateful Eight. Yeah, right. I think she, she's in a Tarantino couple, movie. She was in a couple of TV movies too. I'm I'm trying to remember which ones. I think she wrote something that we watched last year. It was really good. Yeah, she's. It's funny she never mentions among her credits Easy Money. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't think she had a good time. And and that other guy just passed away. I'm sorry. What's his name, Victor? Taylor Nagron. Taylor Negron. Yeah. Taylor Negron. Yeah, he he just passed away, huh? Yeah, he died a couple of years ago. Too bad. He was a great guy. The jacket he's wearing in the car, um, you know, when he drives up, and uh, I forget who he's talking to. He's got like like a like a like a reddish burgundy satin jacket on. That's my jacket, and it's my car. It was my car. Do you still have the jacket? <laughs> No, I have no idea where it is. I think it finally ripped to shreds. But uh, these are fun facts to tell the grandkids. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> next yeah. time we're watching the movie. Yeah. There so, you go. Uh, the, but uh, you yeah. know, I, how did you, how did you meet Jackie the Joke Man? Well, Jackie and I met before either of us were comedians because I lived in Long Island, and he was a he was an assistant at a studio that I used to record songs at. And I just, you know, we used to crack each other up. And he goes, well, you should do this for a living. You're funny. I'm going, and I said, no, I can't do this. I can do this with friends, but I can't do it in front of an audience. But like, lo and behold, years later, I just fell into this comedy career. But then, you know, Jackie, by that time, I guess, was doing Stern. So we just always kept in touch. But we met way before comedy. He was a Long Island guy, and I was a Long Island guy. That's cool. And so now you... you, you... Do easy money. What was the net? So that movie. Uh, oh wait, that's the other question. Did Billy Joel specifically write that for the movie? Yes, I tell everybody if if I had not been born, Billy Joel never would have written the song Easy Money, and they just look at me like, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, he he wrote it for the movie. Yeah. Well, and were you were you on set every day? Pretty much every day, almost every day, because they'd always, that w what would happen is, you know, we'd do a scene and Roddy didn't like it or the director didn't like it or they needed new lines or punch-ups. And so Mike Lendler and I, and sometimes sometimes PJ would be on the set almost every day and they'd say, we need a line for here, we need a better line, we need this, we need that. So that that happened a lot, you know. Roddy. As you, as you can tell by that script you have, which probably has nothing to do with it. The movie that finally got made. You know, I haven't, I haven't written, you know, I, I was with there, I was talking to Ron, and, um, you know, and I and I, I wanted to talk to you about it first, because uh, I sort of have this new in with the Friars Club, yeah. and I know there's a lot of people in there, and I thought it'd be fun to actually do a script read with, with, the, with, with, with like, one of the early versions uh -huh. of, the, like, the, this version of Easy Money. Right. You know, compared to what the movie actually is, and, uh, yeah. So I'm kind of working on something like that. So if that's the case, you know, I, you know, I could probably 
Um, if I make it a big enough event where people can sit in the audience and like I think we get like the right comedians right. coming right. to play all the different because I thought you know like because Jim Brewer does such a great Joe Pesci. Yeah, man. That you know, and then maybe that have Jackie great. or you do Rodney. Yeah. You know, just because you guys knew him so well. Yeah. And just have different comedians do you know have all the characters do a script read and right. just see how it turns out. It could be like a fun event. And yeah. uh, that's why I, I thought of like I wanted to call you because I, I did something like that. I would want to have your blessing because it is technically your script. Fine with me. There you go, Ron. We got permission. You got the The Pope has spoken. Dennis, this movie is such a cult classic. A lot of people don't even know it. They don't know this Rodney movie. And I always say, of the the other two, Back to School, which is great, and Caddyshack, like, to me, they don't even, they're not even close. But I guess it's a specific thing you have to have culturally about how you guys wrote it. I was going to say something about the music you have. You have that vaudeville music going throughout. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't there for the music part of it, so I don't know I don't know how that all came about. But I know they wanted to get Billy Joel to do the title song for a long time. He, and he was a huge Rodney fan. He came he came to a show we did at Westbury. And um, th- here's a funny story. So Billy Joel comes to this, this show, right? And I come off stage. And, and then Rod, uh, Rodney goes on. He does this show. And then, like, we're all... Um, my wife and I uh, were sitting in the dressing room because Billy and Roddy are just talking in the dressing room. And we're just sitting on the wall going, I can't believe this is happening. And uh, at one point, Billy Joel goes to Roddy, yeah, Roddy, we're going to do this, uh, this tour where I'm going to have a TV on stage. And it's just going to be on Tunes to the Andy Griffith show. And we're not even going to refer to it. And Roddy kind of chuckled, you know, said, oh, OK. You know, and, and you could tell Billy was like, oh, I made Rodney chuckle. So about the, the conversation continues. And about three minutes later, Rod, Billy goes, yeah, Rodney, like I said, we're going to have that TV on during the tour. And Rodney turns to Billy and he goes, it was kind of funny the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what kind of what kind of shenanigans went on in that apartment? Was that like a crash pad for like all the comedians that like, played Dangerfield? Do you mean the apartment that I that I we that we all yeah the sixty fifth yeah 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 no it was just like I said we we just moved in there because my friend Larry Campbell got us the apartment and uh, we just lived there and it wasn't a because I wasn't I wasn't much I didn't mix with the other comics very much I, if I did we went to the Green Kitchen I don't even know if that's still there in the city anymore no uh, but that was that was the big comedy I, hang the Green Kitchen and then JP's which was the after hours bar at seventy sixth Street. Uh, and and First Avenue. That was, oh, that yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, man, that was yeah. a great place. And John I, Murray was the bartender. He was Bill Murray's, one of Bill Murray's brothers, and, and that's where we got to meet Bill and all those guys. I just uh, pictured that, that, like, some crazy shit went on up there. Like, no. like, like everybody went back into your place after, like, a set, and it, it was just like... No, I wasn't a hang with the comedians kind of guy. I was kind of a loner, and also I was a guitar comic, so, you know, I was like, uh, you know. It's, it's a long story, but... Uh, but no, not nothing. Nothing. I'm I'm sorry to tell you, there were no great stories from the actual apartment, uh, except when John Murray came over, Bill's brother, and I was, I was that was during my uh, uh, video games phase. I had like ten thousand Atari video games, and Johnny comes over. He goes, uh, "What's with the, uh, what's with the video games, Dennis?" I go, "Well, it's an obsession, but hey, at least I don't do cocaine." And he says, uh, "How many games you got there?" He says, "I don't know, about 40. He goes, "Maybe you should do cocaine." That was the only uh, really funny thing that happened for Yeah, it was kind of it was just a place to, to to hang, you know, just 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 our little living space. So now, Easy Money was uh, a success in my, in my eyes, you know. And after Easy Money, 
and success. You got this big writing credit and, and a movie with Rodney. What happens next? Uh, well, based uh, from from the moment, excuse me, the momentum of Easy Money, uh, we got a deal with Orion uh, to write another movie, and uh, we wrote a movie called Lean Acres. It was about a fat farm. It's called Lean Acres, <laughs> and I wrote that with a guy named Mel Green, who I think wrote for SNL for a while. Uh, he was a friend of mine, and then we wrote it, and we got a producer, and you know, he kept giving us notes, and we worked on that. We were at the Chateau Marmont for a couple of months. Nice. Uh, they flew us out to L.A. I was still in New York City, and it, it just never got made. They bought it. They bought the movie. We got paid for it, but it never got made. And then after that, you know, the, the bloom was off the rose pretty much, and you know, so we never got another movie made. But we got one sold, so that was it. I, I'll, I'll tell you, I was like the worst businessman ever. I probably I should have parlayed that into more stuff, but I just didn't. I was on by that time. I was on the road with Joan Rivers and then eventually George Carlin. So I, that was fine. I, well, I, I, I was waiting for that. Uh, yeah. gotta, that that's because I know you wrote a book, Touring with Legends. Everybody yeah. should really check it out because there's some really great stories. Uh, I was reading great reviews, at least from what I saw. Oh, good, good. Yeah, people you know, like, like the Amazon reviews were. I definitely. Uh, it's on my purchase list. I, I, I okay. prefer to go actually go to a Barnes and Noble and pick up a book. I don't like waiting. Yeah, okay. And, I, think yeah. It's on, I think it's on Barnes and Noble too. And also, the Bear yeah. Bear Manor is the name of the publisher. Bear Manor Media. I think they they have it on their site too. So, Either. um, but the, like now, I, some of the you know you work with some of the top comics of all time. Yes, and career. <laughs> um, so. George Carlin, like, uh, hello, oh my God, like, you've got to have some great George Carlin stories. Oh, yeah, there's there's plenty of great George. There's plenty, of, I mean, there's great Rodney stories, there's great Joan River stories. George Carlin was, you know, I'd never met the guy. I had an agent. At that time, I was doing a lot of opening act work for, you know, pretty big, you know, big bands, you know, famous people and, uh, you know, Toto and uh, the Spinners and the Four Tops and the Tom Jones I worked a year with. So, and his agent, this great agent, was just getting me all this work. And he called up one day and said, hey, you want to you wanna work for three months with George Carlin? And I think I was on the plane before he finished the sentence. And uh, so, I, but I'd never met George. I guess they'd seen a tape of me or something. And uh, first day was Omaha, 1988. And he comes down and says, hey, Dennis, how the fuck are you? And I'd never met the guy. <laughs> he comes walking into the dressing room, takes about half of my deli tray, all my grapes and my carrots. I'm taking a half of these, so fuck you. Okay, George, no problem. And he just, he was just going around the room, like looking at shit. He goes, all right, I've heard, I've heard really great stuff, so uh, we'll be watching this, so don't fuck up. And then he leaves my room, and I'm going, okay, that was kind of fun, you know. And luckily, the show went well that night, and they, I did my three months, and he kept me on for 18 years. So, 18 years? Did you get to hang out with it? Did you guys hang out afterwards? Or? Yeah, the guy who liked to hang out was Rodney. He loved to hang out. He had me... Sometimes I didn't want to hang out. He said, hey, come on over. And he couldn't say no because he was hiring me, you know. Yeah. Uh, George, George was more of a loner. But when we did hang out, we had some great times, you know. I mean, uh, he told me the whole story about how we made the change from the hippy-dippy guy to, to what he became later. And, uh, and he'd always leave me these great notes when I was on stage. Like, you know, I'd come back. I would be opening for him. And he'd go right on. And I'd find this note in my dressing room. And my favorite one... I think it's in the book. Uh, my favorite one that he left me was, Dennis, a few of us were talking, and we think you need to blow more people. Your friend, George Garland. These are the kind of things. Oh, tell me you saved those. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I got I got them. Yeah, yeah. There's also now, a set list. There's also a set list. I, I, have pic I have pictures in the book. 
there's a set list that I asked him if I could keep, you know, just his set for the evening. And it was like, you know, war, destruction, beheading, execution. Those were his bullet points. So he was a really happy guy. But he loved he loved being on the road. So he, he worked a lot. We worked a lot together. Oh, didn't something happen after his wife passed away? He went into like a crazy time or? Well, he... Not, not he. After his wife died, he was of course depressed and really down for a while. But it did, you know, he was able to compartmentalize, so he was able to keep working, you know. And then he hooked about a year later. He hooked hooked up with this woman named Sally, and he uh, they became like inseparable. So he was very happy. I think the dep- he started getting in darker moods. He started getting kind of cranky the last two years of his life, and we none of us could figure out why because he was the happiest person. He just loved working. He loved doing comedy. He was so goofy off stage. And uh, and he just we found out later he was battling an addiction to Vicodin and his 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 veins and arteries were congealing. He was having more heart problems. So that's what caused the depression, not 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 the wife, you know. But uh, yeah, before that, he was, we just had some great fun. What was that? What was uh, what was your last memory of George? Last memory? Well, I did I did his last week in in Vegas uh, at. Um, the Orleans Hotel. There was like four nights. We did four nights. And he was just not himself. He was not the way he always was. I mean, we would take trips, you know, we would do a lot of uh, traveling in cars, rental cars. Uh, and uh, we would come up with these premises, just these dopey premises. Like one was, who do you think is the uh, the, the famous person with the, the bushiest pubic hair? These were, you know, we'd try to come up with our own ideas. I think I came up with Rhea Perlman. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I can um, see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty odd. And then my favorite one. Rue McClanahan. Uh, oh, there you go. Rue McClanahan. Uh, one of my favorites was the premise was Kennedy's last words. Now, usually George won these because he came up with the most outlandish and funniest ones. But I won this one. This was what were Kennedy's last words. And I came with, up with, why is my head whistling? And they said, all right, Dennis, you won that one. But he usually won all the other ones, which were like restaurants you don't want to go into. Uh, I came up with any restaurant where truckers are vomiting over the, over the railing. And he came up with any restaurant where you walk in and the waiter is taking a shit in the soup. So this is the kind of, this is the kind of you know, fun we used to have on the road. Now, Joan Rivers is another like amazing classic comedian that you work with. She was yeah. always very nice because she used to come on the Howard Stern show all the time. Yeah, and she was always very nice to me. She had this um, assistant or her uh, Dorothea, who I was like the first time I was kind of attracted to an older woman. She was very sexy, Dorothy. and I was like was brought in uh, on the air because of Dorothea because I they were like, oh, girl's got a crush on Dorothea, and she was like in her fifties probably. I don't know if you remember Dorothea. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. And um, very classy, sexy woman. But um, I was infamously invited to one of Joan's Christmas parties. Okay. But it was on Christmas, and I didn't go because I'm really kind of tight with my family, and Christmas was a big deal. And I got right. made fun of, like, how would you not go to Joan Rivers' Christmas party? And I was like, how could I not leave my How could I leave my family to go to Joan Rivers' Christmas party? You, you know? made the right choice. You made the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. So, but Joan was always very nice and just like she was a pioneer as far as female comedians goes. She was the end all be all. Right, right. And she was a yeah. She was like a den mother. She would organize trips for us. You know, the uh, the great thing. One of the great things about Joan is there. She would always use in the eighties, the mid eighties, and she was really a huge star then. Not that she wasn't afterwards, but she was like just becoming like this huge phenomenon. 
And she would always have two opening acts, one musical act and one comic. And sometimes uh, I would be the musical act because the comic would be like Gary Shandling, who I became pretty close with. Uh, and, you know, and, and she would call us up at like 10 in the morning. And, you know, comics don't get up before noon. You know that. So um, 10 o'clock in the morning, our hotel in Tahoe would ring. Uh, our phone in Tahoe would ring. Hello, who is it? It's Joe. We're all going on the boat. We go, what? What? Are you talking? Who? What? Who? Where? What time is it? It's 10 o'clock. Get dressed. We're all going water skiing. So you'd have to go down to the lobby in like 20 minutes and go water skiing on the on the, on the the Caesar's yacht. You know, and it was in, in one in one sense, it was annoying. But in the other sense, OK, we're going water skiing with Joan Rivers and, and Melissa and, you know, her entourage. So, you know, those are the kind of things that she would organize stuff, ski trips, you know, kind of stuff. So she was good. And she got me on the Tonight Show when she was. Wow. Uh, wow. Well, when, they, when they were talking to her. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a horrible story. Right. Ron, are you a big Gary Shandling fan? I'm sure you like. I'm a uh, guy. I mean, that's another one of all these guys. Gary Shandling was just brilliant. His stand-up was amazing. That show that he had going yeah. on afterwards. Um, yeah. But Dennis, you 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 open for all these people, and for you to be this close, your, your act is it is it clean? Because when I, I look at a couple clips, it's very clean. I know it's the internet. You kind of want that image, but and you play so beautifully, and you sing so beautifully, and you're very funny. How did you be connected? All these people must love you having them as their setup for them for their show, and because you're different from them too. Yeah, I think it worked. I, I, I guess it worked because I was, you know, I would, you know, as an opening act, your job is really to just get the audience warmed up so that the audience, is, you know, is at this level when the headliner hits. Yeah. And so I did comedy, but it was like you said, it was like nothing like theirs because it's musical and it's parodies, and they would just come out with a microphone. So. Uh, I would get the audience in the right mood, but I wouldn't interfere with their style. So I guess that's why I opened for, you know, Joan and Rodney and and uh, and Carlin and uh, Alan King, um, Norm Macdonald recently. Well, about last year, I opened for him. Uh, so uh, Norm. Um, yeah. So I mean, very sober. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Very sober. I was just speaking with very sober yesterday. He's like. Tell Dennis I say hello. He was nothing oh, yeah. but so kind when I when I was with Norm in Vegas recently. I guess he had opened for yeah. Norm at one point too. And he's like, yeah, oh, yeah, he did, yeah, just, yeah. Barry did a set. He did like ten minutes before I went on. So uh, yeah, it was great. It was great to see him too. Yeah, just couldn't. He said he couldn't be nicer. And I was like, this guy's a comedian. He's so nice. And I mean, maybe you, you must have skipped the level that all these comedians I've seen in New York the bitterness and anger. Yeah, I, well, I was really lucky. I mean, I went to Dangerfields. See, the, I, just very quickly, I, I didn't have to do, like, Catch a Rising Star and wait for, like, hours and hours to get a number. You know, luckily, I, Dangerfields was four blocks from me, so I just auditioned there. And, the, and then they hired me immediately to open for whoever the headliner would be. Next, the following week was Jackie Mason. And then the next week was Rodney. So then that's So I got in. I didn't have to put up with all that bullshit, you know. So I always oh. consider myself really lucky. Beautiful. And Jackie yeah. Mason, yeah. Jackie yeah. Mason, right down here. I, that's the one person I see more than anyone else in the city. And you wrote Still. a show for him. I've seen his Broadway shows. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you wrote, wrote a show a, for I wrote, him. I wrote a show for him. Uh, they already had the, uh, the the skeleton of the the nucleus of the sketches, and they they went through like four different writers, and they called me in a panic. I don't know if you know Jill. Do you know his manager, Jill? Yeah. She said, she, she sounds exactly like John Rivers. And she called me, do you write sketches? I'm going, I've written sketches, why? And they like flew me to New York for like six months and they wanted to salvage uh, what these writers had come up with. And we got it into shape. 
but here's the problem. It, it, was, it was a musical. And Jackie can't sing, and Jackie can't act. So other than that, it was a perfect, perfect. Come on, he was really good in the jerk. Yeah, but I mean, he was got to do a caricature, you know. And and uh, and and Jackie just, I, I felt terrible because the the critics panned it because it it, it was pretty. I, it, it was pretty good. People were laughing. People were enjoying it by the the run. But I think the New York critics hated him because he was so right wing, Jackie. Uh, so, uh, yeah. but I felt really bad and I called him up. I said, Jackie, I'm sorry. I tried my hardest. It's just supposed to go. Don't worry about it. I realized it was a wrong thing for me to do. Nobody wants to see a Jew like me in a musical. I don't know what made me think of this. What made me think I was going to sing a song. People were going to come like they're going to watch me dancing and schlepping around. So he, he realized maybe this wasn't the best move for him. That's cool. I know you. I know you got to run because you, you had forty minutes to give me, and I really appreciate that. What do we end this on? Um, what, what was your most epic night out ever? With who was there? Like, was there one night where Rodney was there with like a rock star or something well, that like really like a really good story to end everything? Well, Rodney had on his sixtieth birthday, and I think that I've been working for him maybe six months at his at his club at Dangerfields. He had a big birthday celebration, and he invited Steve Martin. Uh, all the Murrays, uh, Chevy Chase. So all these people were crammed into Dangerfields. We all did like, I did like a 10 minute set. Uh, Rodney did a 10 minute set. I think uh, Robert Klein was there. He did a 10 minute set. Uh, and uh, we went downstairs. My wife uh, was taking, my girlfriend at the time, but my wife now was taking photographs of everything. And she had left her camera in Rodney's dressing room. We went down into Rodney's, she went down into Rodney's dressing room and sitting there with Joe Ansis who's legendary, uh, who, who lived with Rodney, and Joe Ansis was talking to John Belushi. And so she kind of snuck in, and somewhere in my archives, I have it, maybe you have it, maybe you have it. It is a picture of, of, of Belushi uh, and, Ansis, and Joe Ansis, and two weeks later is when he died. So, oh. But it was an amazing night. That's one that really sticks out in my mind, because it was like star-studded, everybody was there. Can't imagine what happened that night, but I'm not going to get into it. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Oh, by the way, little R.I.P. to Charles Grodin. He passed away today. I don't know if you know that. Who did Charles Grodin? Yeah. Oh, 86. no. Yeah, 86. I was so, just watching all these YouTube clips of him with Carson and Letterman and that that, that, shit, that shitty had that weird Carson. relationship with Carson where he'd come out and it would be like the attention. You know, oh, like, it was like, oh, that's too bad. Yeah, I, I got I had the chance like um there was a point where Howard was like and him were going at it at each other's throats when he had his TV show and yeah. he would bash Howard and Howard would bash him and they were really going at each other's throats and wow. um so we were I was with Stuttering John and we were doing something over at the Waldorf Astoria there was like a big NBC event so there's yeah. two entrances to the Waldorf Astoria one was like the red carpet and there was the back entrance. But John had the whole camera crew, and I said, well, why don't you just give me the recorder, and I'll see if I can get people coming out. So as soon as they, they all walked around the corner, and as soon as that happened, a town car pulls up, and I could see Charles Grodin in the back seat. And I'm like fumbling. I, you know, get, it wasn't just like a regular tape recorder where you hit record. It was like I'm a rant. Well, you need right. to know like what exactly levels and all this crap. So I get it. The rant's rolling, and Charles Grodin's coming in. And I was like, Mr. Grodin, can I ask you a question for WXRK? And he's like, sure. And then he, he didn't stop. So now there's a, little, there's a little escalator in the back of the Waldorf Astoria that goes up to the main level. Yeah. So he's in the escalator. And I'm running up the down escalator. 
and I'm asking <laughs> questions. So, like one of the questions, like I was like, um, "Do your children know you wear a wig?" And then he was like, "What?" And then I think the second one, by the time I got to the top, I, I asked one more in between, and I'm like, I'm like, and I mumbled like, "By the way, I love you, Midnight Run. It's one of my favorite movies." And he like looked down at me, and I'm like, and I get to the top, I said, "Do you drink Rogaine?" And he grabbed the microphone and he cocked back his fist like this, yeah. and he was gonna punch me in the face. And I went like this, and you could hear me on the tape. I go, "Just go ahead and do it." I was like, please do it. Yeah, and he yeah. stopped himself and he goes, get the fuck out of my face. And then he just like, swarmed <laughs> off. Well, he should have and, appreciated uh, that. Come on, that's the kind of question yeah. you'd ask. You oh, know? no. He was cantankerous, my friends. Okay. He was like, he was, well, it was a Howard thing. He knew it was Howard making fun of him. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, okay, so speaking of Midnight Run, here's my one uh, Charles Gordon impression. You ready? Yeah. I'm the blue collar criminal. Okay, that's it. That's it. That's the entire. That's the entire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. Mardukis, the Duke. <laughs> My favorite line, and I use this all the time, is, uh, is uh, De Niro. I got two words for you. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Great movie. Yeah. Oh, man. One of my favorites. Bad. The litmus test. The litmus test. The, the litmus yes, test. Litmus test for the duration. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, everybody. Yeah, hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Dennis, thank you so much. You can check out his book, uh, Touring with Legends. I would recommend it. Were you working on anything currently right now? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting my next album. Uh, you, you know, I, I do music, too, so I'm going to go to Nashville in September and record album number four. Those are all over on Spotify, all my albums. So that's it. But, you know, okay, again, well, doing, doing the Comedy Cellar now, that's open in Vegas. So I'm starting to Oh, okay. About a week. Yeah. Well, if you come to New York and you do anything, give me a buzz. And um, okay. when you have anything new co to come coming out, let me know, and I'll be more than glad to promote it. Great. Okay. Thanks. This was fun. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Cool. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you. I hope to meet you when you come to New York, man. I'll be following you now. Be watching all your stuff. Thank you so Great. much. Thank you. Thank you. We'll, we'll get together. And, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll have to do something about this. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Don't don't lose it. I won't lose it. It's in the same place. Okay, it's good. actually, I have it like right on the, it's like, it's like a, it's like a centerpiece in my apartment. When new people come over, I'm like, you know what this is? <laughs> and people are like, Ooh, oh my God, look, <laughs> you know, like, great, so, great. all right, cool, man. Thank you so much, Ron. Thank you for uh, having uh, me here and uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay. Bye-bye.